Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. I want to get into the big business plot to overthrow Democrats. I'll tell you about that in just a second. Also, what's Ted Cruz going to do with these items from dead children that a mile-long procession of school buses brought to his mansion yesterday? His security guard came out and took the note from one of the grieving fathers. And also, in our crazy alert for the day, the recall alert regarding honey, or Viagra in honey, gives new meaning to, honey, I'm home. <laughs> it's, yes, indeed. All righty. My op-ed today over at HartmanReport.com is titled, The Big Business Plot to Overthrow Democrats Revealed? Question mark. And I, I put it as a question mark, and I'd like to posit this to you, too. You know, if you think that I'm being... Uh, you know, paranoid or spot on. I'm increasingly thinking I've nailed this, but, you know, I could be wrong. I, it could just be a coincidence. Uh, but the bottom line is that we have, ever since the Reagan revolution, we stopped enforcing our antitrust laws. And my article goes through the whole background of all that. I won't bore you with all of that. But, but basically, you know, in 1982, Reagan put a guy, William Miller, in charge, William Miller III, in charge of the Federal Trade Commission. The Federal Trade Commission was created in 1915 by Woodrow Wilson to break up monopolies. This is after, you know, the trust buster Teddy Roosevelt was, was the first president of the 20th century, uh, arguably, but Kinley was assassinated in 1901. Um, so you had Teddy Roosevelt, and then he was followed by William Howard Taft, both Republicans, both progressives, and both busting up big corporations, he was followed by Woodrow Wilson, and Woodrow Wilson got the Federal Trade Commission put into law, created this agency. And they were busting up corporations like crazy for years and years and years. Even the Supreme Court got into the act. In 1965, they pre prevented the merger of uh, Kinney and Buster Brown shoes because the combined company would control 5% of the shoe market. That was too much. That was a monopoly in the minds of, you know, American regulators in 1965. Now, for example, Nike has 19% of the American shoe market. So what has happened as a result of this is we've got these giant corporations that essentially have no competition. Prices have historically been kept in check by competition. And, you know, we've got this horrible inflation in the United States right now. The latest report came out yesterday or the day before was 9.1%. 
Europe is down to 7%, although, you know, there are local, like Germany is going to have a problem with inflation because of the, their reliance on Russian gas. But that's, that's kind of an anomaly. But inflation is dropping in Europe. It's dropping in Asia. And, you know, in fact, the European Union is predicting 4% for next year. And we're at 9.1%. It's continuing to go up. Why is this? I mean, it seems to me like we're on the back end of the COVID demand bump. And, and, and oil prices are down. I mean, it's down to $95 a barrel. The last time it was $95 a barrel, gas was around $340 a, a gallon at the pump. So what the hell is going on? Well, my, what I'm positing, what I'm suggesting, what I'm theorizing here is that you have these massive corporations now that have essentially no competition, that control marketplaces. If you looked at airline tickets recently, for example, I've got to fly to Michigan for my brother's funeral in a couple of weeks, and it's like, whoa, look at these. I mean, it's like over $1,000, you know, in cheap coach. And it's, it's just breathtaking what is happening to prices. Well, why? Well, because four companies basically control the airline industry. When Delta raises their prices 10 bucks, United does 30 seconds later. They all monitor each other. They act as a cartel. And it's not just the airline industry. It's every major industry in America. So who runs these corporations? Multimillionaire and billionaire CEOs and boards of directors who do not want unions. And we've got, for the first time in 40 years, again, you know, sadly, this is where both Obama and, and Clinton kind of fell down on the, on the job. But, you know, I get it. The, the, the time just was not ripe and the, the conditions were not there. But um, for the first time, we've got a presidential administration that is talking about expanding unions, that is talking about raising taxes on the morbidly rich and giant corporations, that is openly talking about regulating pollution and, and trying to do something about greenhouse gases, and, and, and that is, uh, today, the headline in Bloomberg is that the Federal Trade Commission is talking about breaking up Google. So you've got a whole bunch of CEOs who are looking at this going, we don't want our monopolies broken up. We don't want our billion-dollar paychecks taxed or hundred-million-dollar paychecks taxed. Uh, you know, we don't want our companies regulated. We don't want unions. And the Biden administration is, I mean, Joe Biden's cutting deals with Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is the chairman of the budget committee that, you know, that writes all this stuff that has to do with taxes and spending and stuff. And, and, and Biden's right there with him. And so I'm thinking that these titans of industry, these masters of the universe, these corporate leaders, these multimillionaires and billionaires are, are thinking, hey, what better time to jack up prices as hard and as fast as we can. And sure enough, The Guardian did an analysis of, of uh, price increases cor and, and correlating with corporate profits and found that in one case, a corporate, some corporate profits are up over 100,000%. I mean, it's just absolutely massive, these, these uh, increases in corporate profits. This is what John Rockefeller was doing back in the 1880s. This is why we got the Sherman Antitrust Act in 1890, which Ronald Reagan in 1982, the FTC suspended enforcement of, and in, 1990, in 1983, he notified the Department of Justice not to go along with any more prosecutions for monopolistic behavior. And boom, we got the M&A, you know, the mergers and acquisitions mania. Remember that? I mean, you know, it, was, it was a pretty big deal. 
Now, you may say, whoa, wait a minute, big corporations getting, getting in bed with each other to try and take down a progressive Democratic administration? Keep in mind, we haven't had a progressive Democratic administration since Lyndon Johnson. And the big one before him was Franklin Roosevelt. And how did the big fat cats deal with Franklin Roosevelt? Well, the, you know, the, this is in 1933, a group of America's most powerful industrialists pulled together $300 million. That'd be eight, uh, that'd be $6 billion in today's money, $6.8 billion, and tried to hire retired Marine General Smedley Butler to kidnap or kill Roosevelt. You know, Jillian Brockwell wrote in the Washington Post, quotes, this is about the, the businessman's plot, is what it's called. Its members included J.P. Morgan Jr., Irene DuPont, the CEOs of General Motors, Birdseye, and General Foods, among others. Together, they held nearly $40 billion in assets, about $778 billion today. And he talks about how if Butler had gone along with the deal, it probably would have happened. But instead, he turned him over to the FBI. And that was the end of that. So from a corporate point of view, if I'm a CEO and I'm thinking, okay, I can jack my profits up. I can increase my paycheck thereby because my paycheck is a function of corporate profits. I, I get to be a hero to all the stockholders and all the other senior executives who are compensated with stock options. I, I get to, and, and, and the only downside of this is that it increases inflation, but increasing inflation means that voters in the fall uh, 2022 and 2024 are going to throw the bums out. You know, Jerry Ford was a one-term president because of inflation. Jimmy Carter was a one-term president because of inflation. And they're sitting around going, gee, the worst that'll happen is inflation, and inflation is going to mean that we can get rid of these pesky Democrats. What's not to love about that? Now, you know, I could be wrong, but Paul Krugman is writing in the New York Times about how the current economic numbers make absolutely no sense. He doesn't know why. I think this is why. But I could be wrong. I mean, I'm not an economist. I don't have a PhD and a Nobel Prize like Paul Krugman does, but, but I can, you know, I do know which way the wind blows. What do you think? You think I'm nuts here? Steve in Arlington, Washington. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, good morning. Uh, I, I just wanted to put a, a thought out there. There might be a perfect storm coming if, with the rumors of Trump running for president, but he loses to DeSantis in the primaries, and I've heard that he would, might run as an independent. Oh, please, God, would, let it happen. Oh, I know, because that would be uh, <laughs> perfect, uh, paving the way for uh, Joe Biden or whoever to defeat him, and uh, even if they cheat. Yeah. Yeah, it would just it would be just like the damage that uh, Jill Stein did to the Democrats. Yes. And, and one more thing. Uh, it drives me crazy that the media does not report President Biden's accomplishments and call out Republicans for all their lies. Me too. They need to call him out every single day right up to the election. I agree. I agree. I agree. The, uh, the, the, a lot has actually gotten done during this administration. And they've tried a lot oh, more. Yeah. I mean, you know, if it wasn't for Manchin and Cinema and, and, and a, you know, and a handful of uh, bought out Democrats in the House of Representatives, uh, they'd be rocking and rolling. I mean, it's, you know, we would be, it would look like uh, LBJ's administration, just victory after victory after victory. I'm with you. Steve, thank you. Thank you for the call. Amy in Los Angeles. Hey, Amy, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up? Uh, yes, good morning, Tom. Well, okay, before I give you this information, let me tell you that your good friend, uh, 
uh, Greg Palace lives on my street. Oh, and, cool. Uh-huh, Tell yes, he I does. He has a very nice house. <laughs> right. And I have seen him. He has donated his books to me. I, I gave him my book, the one that I was uh, talking to you about uh, during Stalin, the repressions and all right. that yeah. that happened in those years. Anyway, and of course, my country of Armenia suffers for 70 years under the yes. Soviet domination. Anyway, okay. Uh, this is very interesting information came to my attention that 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence were treated very badly. Some of them were hanged, some of them were killed, some of them were driven to uh, bankruptcy and it's horrible true. things. But you, half of them lost their this? homes and families. Wow. Yeah. This is incredible. Well, they, they signed a that. document that, that declared mm -hmm. that uh, they were going to defy the King of England, who at the time was the most powerful uh -huh. man in the world. I mean, <laughs> it's right. like, they, right. and, they, and at the very end of it, they said, you know, we, we, uh, we commit our, our, our honor and fortunes and uh, our lives uh -huh. and fortunes. I forget the exact phrase. Um, they were not, wow. this was not hyperbole. They, they knew the risks that they were taking. No, they knew it. 24 of them were lawyers and jurists. 11 were merchants. Some of them were farmers, plantation owners. They were, some of them were lynched. Some of them were attacked right there on the spot. And yeah, one of them I forget his name. Uh, he he never never was re he went into hiding uh, after signing the declaration mm. and was never reunited with his his family. His his wife died. Mm. Uh, he had a bunch of kids. He never saw them again. He died. Um, wow. I mean, it was uh, it, it was right. it was not a small thing creating this country, and we need to value this country as a consequence of that. I agree with you. As an immigrant, I value more than the native-borns. Uh, a a right. quick question: Why do all news agencies, including CNN, always talk about like it's a, a done deal? They say, "Well, Senate is going to go to Republicans." Why do they keep repeating this? Well, th this is typically what this? happens in midterm elections. Is you know, I mean, Obama lost control in 2010. Right. Um, uh, right. Clinton lost control in '94. Um, uh, even I, I believe even Reagan lost control. So it's just it's just what normally happens. Mm. But I think the abortion and guns might blow that up this year, uh, uh, Amy. Amy, thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you. Mike in Lameda, California. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, answering your previous question, you may be nuts, but you're also right. With regard to uh, corporations jacking up prices to drive inflation to push Democrats out of office? Well, not so much about the end of pushing Democrats out of office, but uh, the uh, aspect that there's been market consolidation and that we have monopolistic reality in the marketplace. The right. town where I'm living, uh, we used to have a branch of the low price leader among the various supermarkets in L.A., and uh, they got bought out by a competitor who promised to maintain low prices. And the first week they were in ownership, everything went up by a third Wow. So, what kind of what kind of store? Yeah. What kind of retail? Supermarkets. Oh, food. Groceries. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Surprise, Nothing surprise. important, just food. Yeah. But anyway, uh, what uh, prompted me to call was just a reflection on an irony, because when I was a kid, there was a big Sturm und Drang and uh, hour-long special on, uh, I think it was CBS News, about whether a Catholic should or could be elected president. That was when John Kennedy was running. Yeah, I remember. Of a few weeks later, of course, it was all beside the point because he had been elected. But nowadays, this business about 
the fear of uh, one religious view controlling everyone else's life has come to pass thanks to the Supreme Court, not the presidency. And we notice that uh, a corporation, which is people too, you, my friend, uh, as we know, it can not only hold a religion, but uh, though it does not have a leg to kneel on, it can impose its own religious choice on its employees in terms of their medical coverage. Right. right. That so, goes back to, um, what is it, uh, Majesty Cake Shop, or I forget the whatever the name of that cake shop was. That the, the case Hobby that, Lobby. Uh, well, Hobby Lobby also. And the cake shop was the we don't yeah. have to sell to gay wedding couples. Right. Yeah. Let's part of Whoop, he just vanished. <laughs> uh, I guess he hung up. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's the Tom Hartman University Book Club. Today we're reading from Donut Economics, brand new book by Kate Raworth, Seven Ways to Think Like a 21st Century Economist. And on page 21 in the uh, Who Wants to Be an Economist chapter, Seven Ways to Think Like a 21st Century Economist, here they are. Whether you consider yourself an economic veteran or novice, now is the time to uncover the economic graffiti that lingers in all of our minds. And if you don't like what you find, scrub it out. Or better still, paint it over with new images that far better serve our needs and times. The rest of this book proposes seven ways to think like a 21st century economist, revealing for each of those seven ways the spurious image that has occupied our minds, how it has come to be so powerful, and the damaging influence it has had. But the time for mere critique is past, which is why the focus here is on creating new images that capture the essential principles to guide us now. The diagrams in this book aim to summarize that leap from old to new economic thinking. Taking together, they set out, quite literally, a new big picture for the 21st century economist. So here's a whirlwind tour of the ideas and images at the heart of donut economics. First, change the goal. For over 70 years, economics has been fixated on GDP, or national output, as its primary measure of progress. That fixation has been used to justify extreme inequalities of income and wealth, coupled with unprecedented destruction of the living world. For the 21st century, a far bigger goal is needed, meeting the human needs of every person, 
within the means of our life-giving planet. And that goal is encapsulated in the concept of the donut. The challenge now is to create economies, local to global, that help to bring all of humanity into the donut's safe and just space. Instead of pursuing ever-increasing GDP, it's time to discover how to thrive in balance. Second, see the big picture. Mainstream economics depicts the whole economy with just one extremely limited image, the circular flow diagram. Its limitations have, furthermore, been used to reinforce a neoliberal narrative about the efficiency of the market, the incompetence of the state, the domesticity of the household, and the tragedy of the commons. It is time to draw the economy anew, embedding it within society and within nature and powered by the sun. This new depiction invites new narratives about the power of the market, the partnership of the state, the core role of the household, and the creativity of the commons. Third, nurture human nature. At the heart of 20th century economics stands the portrait of rational economic man. He has told us that we are self-interested, isolated, calculating, fixed in taste, and dominant over nature. And his portrait has shaped who we have become. But human nature is far richer than this. As early sketches of our new self-portrait reveal, we are social, interdependent, approximating, fluid in values, and dependent upon the living world. What's more, it is indeed possible to nurture human nature in ways that give us a far greater chance of getting into the donut's safe and just space. Fourth, get savvy with systems. The ironic crisscross of the market supply and demand curves is the first diagram that every economic student encounters but it is rooted in misplaced 19th century metaphors of mechanical equilibrium. A far smarter starting point for understanding the economy's dynamism is systems thinking, summed up by a simple pair of feedback loops. Putting such dynamics at the heart of economics opens up many new insights, from the boom and bust of financial markets to the self-reinforcing nature of economic inequality and the tipping points of climate change. It's time to stop searching for the economy's elusive control levers and start rewarding it as an ever-evolving, complex system. Fifth, designed to distribute. In the 20th century, one simple curve, the Kuznets curve, whispered a powerful message on inequality. It has to get worse before it can get better, and growth will eventually get it, make it up, or even it up. But inequality, it turns out, is not an economic necessity. It is a design failure. 21st century economists will recognize that there are many ways to design economies to be far more distributive of the value that they generate, an idea best represented as a network of flows. It means that going beyond redistributing income to exploring ways to redistributing wealth, particularly the wealth that lies in controlling land, enterprise, technology, knowledge, and the power to create money. Sixth, create to regenerate. Economic theory has long portrayed a clean environment as a luxury good, affordable only for the well-off. This view was reinforced by the environmental Kuznets curve, which once again whispered that pollution has to get worse before it can get better and growth will eventually clean it up. But there is no such law. Ecological degradation is simply the result of degenerative industrial design. This century needs economic thinking that unleashes regenerative design in order to create a circular, not linear, economy and to restore humans as full participants to Earth's cyclical processes of life. Seventh, be agnostic about growth. One diagram in economic theory is so dangerous that it's actually never drawn, the long-term path of GDP growth. Mainstream economics views endless economic growth as a must, but nothing in nature grows forever. 
And the attempt to buck that trend is raising tough questions in high-income but low-growth countries. The book, Donut Economics. John in New Orleans. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Yeah, I was just wondering if you were following the Vince McMahon sex scandal that was reported last month in the Wall Street Journal. I I am not. I saw that his wife is is one of the leaders now of Donald Trump's new uh, policy think tank in Washington, D.C., the American America First Policy Institute. But I had no idea what her husband is up to or or is it an ex-husband now? I mean, yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a doozy because it it started last month with uh, with I think a three hundred uh, yeah a three million dollar uh, settlement uh, to a former paralegal where where I mean when when she was there she was making a hundred a uh, hundred uh, grand and then and then okay guess some some uh, fooling around with the with the CEO of the company oh yeah uh, her her pay doubles and then. And and then she's just passed along to to like other other um, uh, heads in the in the company. But it's not it doesn't just end there. Uh, Wait a minute, she was passed and, and around think, sexually to other senior yeah, executives in the yeah. company. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. At least one other yeah. At least one other dude who's uh, uh, John Laurinaitis, who's taking the fall for Vince McMahon. Because because right. then because then I think I think uh, a week or two ago, uh, more allegations come out. More uh, three million dollar settlements. So, so yeah. with okay, with four people. So that makes twelve million dollar. Um, <clears throat> yeah, twelve million dollars. So, in, in a way, though, John, I, I mean, you know, I, I get it that this is outrageous. And assuming everything you're saying is true, I, I, I've learned over the years not, you know, when somebody calls in on a talk radio show, not to necessarily believe absolutely everything. But you, you know, I'm, I'm taking you at your word. Um, But still, isn't this sort of a, 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 you know, a dog bites man story? How does it become a man bites dog story? What what makes this, you know, unusual or interesting or important outside of the context of, well, you know, yeah, it's another jerk in the in in the boardroom? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, like, I mean, because because like um, this, yeah, uh, because his wife was in the Trump administration. I mean, this is. I mean, this, this is. This is more uh, of stuff that that's usually reported in wrestling media. That uh, for for like the people who understand how how Vince Man runs his company, uh, that that it's it's basically uh, okay. Yeah, he's on. Yeah, he he's definitely on top. No one underneath him can can uh, say can say anything. Yeah. The board of directors of of uh, his company, the World Wrestling Entertainment, uh, just put out this. Uh, this statement of you know oh yeah con- uh, conduct internal investigation right yada 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 yeah no, I, I get it yeah, John John yeah, thank you thank you for uh, you know for sharing that I think for sharing that information with us uh, I'm, I'm just not sure what to do with it uh, but thanks thanks for the call Justin in Lincoln Nebraska hey Justin what's on your mind today Hey, thanks for taking my call. Uh, what's on my mind is the Republican Party out here in Nebraska, the GOP. They had a meeting, or a little get-together in Kearney, and they blocked some of their delegates. Uh, they didn't allow them to show up because, uh, well, some of them are very vocal and critical of our governor, Pete Ricketts. 
I guess that was the reasoning why they didn't want to give him a platform or something. My, well, my understanding, so, Justin, was that there was a battle between the pro-Trump and anti-Trump faction. Is that what you're referencing, or is my understanding inaccurate? That's that, Well, that's how I kind of see it, because when they did the primary, Charles Herbster, you know, he's from western Nebraska, like rural Nebraska, you know, he's really big on agriculture. People love that out here. Big on ag is good. I really think that Jane Klebb could explain this a lot better than I could. I know she's been on your show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, so it's Charles Herbster against uh, Jim Pillen, and Jim Pillen uh, was endorsed by or backed by uh, Pete Ricketts. And uh, with Herbster, I guess something happened between him and someone else during a, a party, uh, Julie Slama. I guess there was a uh, uh, someone accused him of, of sexual uh, harassment, or right. I, I guess he, he, he may have touched somebody's butt, possibly, I don't know. There's, I think they're still going to court for that. Anyway, so all these Herbster supporters flipped out uh, because, well, I, I'm not doing this story any justice, but uh, I, I guess if you look it up, it, it was really interesting because they all voted, like 10 Republicans quit the party. Uh, one of them flipped everybody off, supposedly, that's what I heard. Before I love she it. Left. I love it. And uh, I mean, you know, and, uh, the, now, the Republicans going after each other is like good news for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, is I it going to be good, good news, news for Nebraska? Um, I, I, I think that some of the Democrats might benefit from this. I hope that Patty yeah. Panting Brooks benefits from this. I hope that Carol Blood benefits from this. Uh, uh, when when the elections come up in November, uh, but I also want to say one more thing. I guess uh, somebody. During that meeting, somebody went into the uh, GOP uh, call center or computer area where they have, like, where they call their donors mm-hmm. or, you know, where they, yeah. And I guess they removed the computers. Uh, there's a story wow. or an article out on that. But then I, uh, uh, I guess they returned them. But the question is, is was, uh, were, were the computers scrubbed or anything like that? You know, they, they right. checked uh, with, with their accountants and everything. I guess everything was okay, but... Well, there's enough, the there's enough paranoid craziness uh, circulating around the GOP these days that anything is possible. So do you think, I mean, Nebraska was once a blue state, Justin. Do you think that it's possible that uh, Democrats will have a, 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 an actual chance this year because of this internecine warfare going on in the GOP? I, I really hope so. I really, I, I kind of hope so. I mean, the, the, those two, the, that Republican Party, it's, I mean, here it's so divided yeah. Like they're just put off by each other. I don't even know how they're going to. Oh, the same thing's happening in through. Wyoming right now, you know, in the in the in uh, uh, Liz Cheney's primary. So, uh, yeah, I think I've seen that uh, where. Yeah. I, yeah. Yep. So it's going to be interesting okay, well, to see how this all shakes out. Justin, thanks thank for the you. heads up and, and then and the information on it. And, you know, I, I, I wish you all the best. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing story. Pat in San Diego. Hey, Pat, what's on your mind today? Hi, um, and I'm, I hope you can talk me off the ledge here, Tom. <laughs> I'll try. Uh, as, if you, as you have pointing out, uh, the corporations, I think, uh, with their monopolies, are that are uh, do, uh, driving up this inflation, and most of all, the fossil fuel companies. Mm-hmm. And um, and then uh, to, to top that off, uh, I mean, this is really bad for us for elections, obviously. And then to top it off, Jerome Powell keeps trying to destroy the economy, uh, and I I can almost prove that the the you know they had a recent hearing in Congress where he was really dumbfounded and uh, unable to answer questions directly. Right. He had to own up to that. Raising interest rates does not he cannot prove that that will drive down inflation. That's correct. And I. 
AOC and others in uh, in that hearing proved that. Yeah. So I I believe they are trying to destroy the economy uh, to to destroy. Well, Jerome Powell A was a banker, a bankster, and B has been a Republican his whole life. So surprise, surprise. Yeah, but but also I'm very very upset with uh, with President Biden's latest moves this last week, and I, it it almost seems like he's trying to get rid of the little support he has. I mean, his ratings were so low, and then he goes against the environmentalists by allowing more drilling. He starts do, uh, playing like he's he's now uh, like Trump too. Uh, with foreign it's, policy, Pat, you are wildly rate. exaggerating what's happening. That 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 drilling that he allowed is is uh, is metaphorically a drop in the bucket, uh, and he is uh, you know confronting uh, an oil shortage now. And and I get it, you know, and that's that's why he's over there kissing the ring of Mohammed bin Salman right now in Saudi Arabia. Same deal. I, These I, are just practical realities yeah. he's got to deal with if he doesn't want his party destroyed. Well. It, it, it just uh, really scares me that he's losing the support of the environmentalists and of, uh, of people who care about uh, human rights. Yeah. The biggest and challenge here, good. if you want to go after the Democratic Party, Pat, the biggest challenge is not Joe Biden, it's Joe Manchin. Like I said, he just, he just blew up the last chance this year to do anything about the environment, which is just a disaster. We'll be right back. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back. So 52 empty school buses, yellow school buses. Well, not entirely empty. They got drivers and they're, and they're filled with um, uh, seats. 4,386 uh, empty seats to honor the 4,368 children who have died in, from gun violence uh, since 2020, just in this year, right? Or the last, uh, I don't, maybe since the, I'm not sure if that's the beginning or end of 2020, but uh, the first bus carried items from, and, and this bus, this mile long caravan of buses drove from Houston to Ted Cruz's mansion. Uh, this is from a, a piece over at BuzzFeed News by Steffi Chow, or CAO, Cow maybe it's pronounced, I'm not sure. 
Well, the first bus carried items from school shooting victims, including a pair of worn-out checkered vans from 15-year-old Grace Mullenberger, killed at her Santa Clarita High School in 2019, a kindergarten graduation card with a smiling teddy bear on it, awarded to Sandy Hook victim Chase Kowalski, and a LeBron James Miami Heat jersey adorned by adored by Joaquin Oliver, who died in the Parkland school shooting in 2018. They're naming this, this collection of items from these children who have died to gun violence in the United States. They're naming it the NRA's Children's Museum. And they brought it by bus caravan to Ted Cruz's house. Uh, this is, uh, the, uh, the leader of this movement is uh, let me let me find his first name here. Manuel Oliver. He's the father of Joaquin Oliver, whose uh, who's Miami Heat jersey is in this collection. And uh, Mr. Oliver hand delivered a letter from his late son Thursday. Now, this is amazing. His his son before his son was 12 years old when he was murdered, and with a gun. And his son had written a letter to the Senate before he died. And it said, quote, I am writing this letter to talk to you about how we, this is a 12-year-old, I am writing this letter to talk to you about how we are going to solve this gun law movement. Most of you have a problem with the idea of universal background check. Why are you mad that there's a background check? It's for your own good. Maybe you're fond of having crazy people with death machines. You shouldn't have anything against background checks if you're innocent. This is what a 12-year-old wrote. So his, his father this is Joaquin Oliver, his father, uh, uh, where, where is his name again, Manuel Oliver, hand-delivered that, wanted to hand-deliver that letter to Ted Cruz. They drove this mile-long caravan of buses to Ted Cruz Mansion in Texas. Uh, Cruz sent his security guy out. He's got full-time, round-the-clock security. He sent a security guy out to receive it and, uh, and then called the police. And the police circled the caravan and, and drove them off. The story in BuzzFeed, Oliver hand-delivered a letter from his late son Thursday to the home of Cruz, who has received a total of $749,000 from the NRA. Amazing. There have already been more than 300 mass shootings this year. So there's that. And then there's this crazy alert. Uh, Honey, I'm Home takes on a whole new meaning. Uh, the FDA has uh, issued a recall announcement, uh, which is pretty incredible, uh, for a product called Kingdom Honey Royal Honey VIP. Uh, this honey is being sold on the Internet, and it turns out that it contains, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, sildenafil, uh, which is the chemical name for Viagra. Honey with Viagra, the active ingredient in, uh, yeah, the sildenafil, the active ingredient in Viagra. Turns out that this was uh, apparently intentional. The product comes in a golden box, and um, this is from the recall notice. The product comes in a golden box and contains 12 sachets of 20 grams of honey with different expiration dates stamped on the back side. It is promoted and sold for sexual enhancement on various websites. Very strange. But, you know, hey. Honey, I'm Home takes on a whole different meaning, I guess. And, uh, or, or the, the, the birds and the bees. Okay, let's pick up your phone calls. Mary in Arlington, Texas. Hey, Mary, what's on your mind today? Yes, Tom, I was watching the uh, 
stock market yesterday, mm-hmm. and uh, Andrew on there, they were laughing, having a good time, uh, talking about each stock has a number. You know, salons, nail salons, each one has a number. And each number signifies how much is sold, how much they do, and that's what the stock market looks at. Well, his idea, Andrew's idea, was to give the guns and the bullets and the paraphernalia a number and then turn it over to the FBI, and they could trace who was buying this stuff. And maybe it would be a good way to stop some of these items. Yeah. What do you think? Well, the, the guns are required to have serial numbers right now, but the problem that we have right now is there's, I mean, I, I believe that the government has seized over 30,000 of these so-called ghost guns. They're, they're importing parts from, from China and other parts of the world where basically you get all the pieces and then you just assemble the gun yourself and there's no serial number, there's no way to track it, and they're being sold on the black market and on the internet. And it's a real, real problem. Mary, thank you. That, that was a good one. That, very good. Scott in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Hey, Scott, what's on your mind? Uh, yes, Tom. I was calling you about, I saw a commercial the other day about guns at Dick's Sporting Goods. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Dick's has stopped a, selling them, uh, haven't, black, they, haven't they? Uh, pardon me? Didn't Dick's stop selling guns? I don't know. And I could be wrong on the name of the sporting goods company or mm-hmm. the name of the company, but I was I saw a black woman on the commercial, and then they started about owner financing the actual weapon for you for no money down. Oh, jeez. You know, yeah. So you got poor people. Uh, my boy, when Trump was elected, he started buying guns. Oh. Probably two seventeen, two eighteen, and he spent over five, eight thousand dollars on guns for yeah, they're expensive these days. And, yeah, for himself and uh, his family, and they went to the shooting ranges. You know, he's very respectable about all the guns and all that. But hell, I sold my guns twelve, fifteen years ago, and I don't really need guns. But yeah. the point being is, if they're owner financing weapons to people that have no money i mean the economy is in a bad enough shape as it is and if you start driving people into debt by buying these damn weapons for no money down we're going to have a hell of a mess yeah so, yeah i'm with you and basically. and when we need to spread the word that if you have a gun in your home uh it does yes. not make you safer it makes you less safe you are more likely to be the victim of that gun accidentally or even intentionally um, having a gun in your home increases the probability of accidental or intentional death, whether by homicide or suicide or accident. And it's just, it's irrefutable. The numbers are absolutely solid. If you buy a gun, you are more likely to die or be injured than if you don't have a gun in your home. It's very, very simple and straightforward. Scott, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. It was a good one. Richard in Hanover, New Hampshire. Hey, Richard, what's up? Yes, I uh, wanted to let you know that in 1930s, uh, six, uh, MIT started building uh, the first of six solar houses, and they had a uh, research, uh, MIT solar energy research project, and my Uncle Schuyler, who I lived with after I was in the second grade, uh, made a lot of the uh, hardware for the uh, uh, solar panels, and they were, this is, is that for hot water area. and for heating the house? 
uh, water and heating. Yeah. yeah, you can look this up uh, on my, as I did on my computer. Solar houses, MIT buildings. Yeah, and that's the technology and, uh, that Jimmy Carter put on the on the roof of the White House. They weren't; those were not uh, photovoltaic. Right. They were for heating water for the White House. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They, these were panels that were flat. Uh, 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 they, they they went to chips like we have now, uh, but. Uh, uh, MIT was also doing research for the uh, oil companies. My uncle uh, Schuyler worked on those too. But uh, uh, I'm sure that the uh, uh, the uh, 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 fossil uh, uh, energy companies that put a squelch to this. Yeah, I, I think so. And just just imagine if back in 1936, when they were doing that research at MIT, um, across the southern half of the United States, where year round you could easily heat water. With, with a solar panel on your roof. Back, I mean, this is yeah, long well, before well, any kind of electronic technology, right? Just, just you know, sunlight heating the yeah. water. How much less energy yeah. we would have used and how much, le how, how, many, how much fewer fossil fuel or how much less fossil fuel we would have used. Richard, excellent. Thank you very much for sharing that. Lee in Lincoln City, Oregon. Hey, Lee, what's up? Hey, how you doing, Tom? Good. Hope you and your family are good. Thank you. Hey, I have a, uh, a, a quick thing here, a suggestion for Ziggy. Uh, okay. Lock him up. Lock him up. Oh, yes. There you go. In quotation marks. <laughs> you know, that would marks. be a good one. Uh, yeah, a good one there. And then uh, uh, one other quick thing, and then I'll get to my question. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, president. Yeah, um, he's a good, he's a very smart guy. He, I, I love the oh. fact that he keeps going on Fox News and eating their lunch. Oh, I don't see that. I don't watch. Yeah, okay. Oh, and yeah, he likes to get rid of the electoral college too. It's, so it's all it's all over the internet. Whenever Pete Buttigieg oh. goes on Fox, he just you know he just destroys them. I'm surprised they keep inviting oh, okay. him back. But you called no, about Lee. We're, we're, we're okay, coming up so what I called here. about was uh, yeah, it was Alaska, and uh, Joe is doing something with drilling up there again, and I'm concerned because one of my favorite sites on the internet is Explore.org, which you're fans should yeah. look at and it would help ease the tension i, I think they, right now they issued a permit for for a for a site not the whole uh, in anwar um you know which is okay. depressing and sad and unfortunate and the rationale is you know we need more oil the price of oil is out of control and all that kind of stuff right we need to get off and and russia's taking oil off the market and i understand all that you know i i understand real politic but, but it, it's not it is a done kind of deal a, yet, right? Uh, I think it is. I think it is. I'm, I'm not certainly, but I, I believe it is. But it is, you know, it is kind of a kick in the shins, you know, sadly. But, you know, life goes on. He's doing more good than, than bad. So it's 46 minutes past the hour. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. I think our standards have changed. You know, he's not Donald Trump. No, no. I actually, Joe Biden has done a lot of good. It's just, you know, a lot of it has been blocked by Manchin and Senate. And welcome back. Ed in Chicago. Hey, Ed, thanks for watching us on Free Speech. What's up? All right, Tom, I have a question for you. If I remember correctly, back in the 70s during the oil crisis, uh, the federal government withheld infrastructure funds from states that wouldn't drop their speed limit to 55. That's correct. It wasn't infrastructure, it was highway funds, but yes, you're right. Okay, anyway, so I'm wondering, w was that possible because of a Democratic majority in the Congress, or is that something that Biden has in his back pocket that he can uh, 
can, that he can use for, you know. That was an executive order. That was an executive order, and, and my recollection is that it, it was Jimmy Carter who did it. It might have been Jerry Ford, but I'm pretty sure it was in the first year of the Carter administration. Okay, so that, that so Biden does have the ability to do that for for like climate change and uh, and abortion. I believe so. I believe so. I, I I don't know about abortion rights. You there has to be there has to be some economic association. I mean, you know, the, he was withholding highway funds because of highway speed limits. There, there's a clear right, association right. between the two. I'm not sure you can withhold highway funds because you don't allow abortions. I, in fact, I'm pretty sure you can't. I, I, I think that would be challenged fairly easily. Hmm. Well, it's still climate change. You could figure a way to uh, u- utilize that, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the, you've got, uh, I think it's South Carolina right now. They're trying to. Uh, pass legislation in that state's legislature that would require that all of the free uh, electric vehicle charging stations that private companies have put up. I mean, like restaurants put them in their parking lots and shopping malls as a as a draw, you know, to bring people in. That those all be torn out, and unless they're repla- unless there's a, also a gas pump right next door to them, that kind of thing might subject them to that kind of executive order. But that that is, I, you know, I doubt that's even going to pass the. Uh, the legislature, but you know we'll we'll see. Uh, but you, know, you raise an interesting point, Ed, and uh, let me let me think about that. Ed, thank you for the call. Doug in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Doug, thanks for watching us on Twitter. What's on your mind today? Um, Tom, I wanted to let you know that I always feel educated when I listen to you. Thank uh, you. Sometimes enlightened, and sometimes uh, frustrated by the state of things. I thought I would I share it. a pun with you. Okay. Uh, this just kind of tries to. Try to ground me a little bit, but here's my pun. Uh, what does Donald Trump have more of than you or me or anybody we know? I don't know. The answer is liability. <laughs> liability. Okay. All right. In both that's a good one. The word. That's a good okay. one. That's, that's better than some knock-knock jokes, I'll tell you. So. Yeah, thank you. Just okay. wanted to share that. Okay. Um, well, thank yeah. you, Doug. That's a good one. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, uh, and I, I have 32 seconds left, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put somebody on with that short a period of time. I did. Let me instead share with you. This is how pathetic the right wing has gotten. Right. This is how low they have sunk. Uh, this is from the writing.com, R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G.com. Um, uh, and it, you know he he compiles the stories, the right wing stories. This is from American Thinker. The headline: Michelle Obama's changing sexual identity. This is by a a writer named Joel Gilbert. I found proof in official documents that Michelle Obama registered to vote as a man in 1994. I have also official proof that after 14 years of voting as a man, she changed her sex in 2008 from male to female. This, this is what they have been reduced to. I'm lacking words. We'll be right back. It's 51 minutes past the hour. I'll be back with you in 60 seconds. And welcome back, picking up your calls. John in Seattle. Hey, John, what's on your mind? Yeah, Tom, thanks for taking my call. I uh, was understanding that when Cheney got that phone call or that message from the attorney, from the staffer that uh, was a witness, that the DOJ never followed up with it as far as they should, they could have had that staffer call him back and have it recorded. And that was something that 
got past the DOJ. They never followed up on it. Yeah, I heard a and conversation was, about that yesterday on MSNBC. It was pretty speculative, though. But, but yes, yeah. I, I mean, the fact is that they didn't. Do, they could have done, a, done basically a sting operation. And frankly, yeah. I think they should have. I'm yeah. with you. And I, then the other one is um, I, over, I heard that Trump is looking to run early for candidacy, candidacy, his candidacy. And, uh, right. He's looking at uh, DeSantis over one shoulder. He might not want to have him indicted because of that. He's running for president. That's that's his bet, is that if he's a candidate for president, the DOJ won't go after him. And also, he thinks that'll help him get out ahead of DeSantis. I, I, who knows? I'm, I'm skeptical. It, it, the day that he actually officially announces is the day that a large part of his current grift, which is making him hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, extracting, fleecing cash out of his donors, comes to an end. And so I, I'm, uh -huh. I'm very, very skeptical. John, thanks for the call. Pat in Miami, in Mason, Michigan. Hey, Pat. I broke my back skydiving Hi. in Mason, Michigan. <laughs> What's up? Oh, no. Yeah. At Jewett Airfield. Yep. I was probably. 19 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, love your show. I've been following you since Air America. Thank, Thank you, you, Tom. You, you give all of us intelligence, feelings, <laughs> education, and peace, and peace. Thank you. Um, I'm calling because now, since I'm a second-class citizen as a female, I was thinking about how farmers... When a cat is in trouble or dies inside a cattle or a cow, how the farmer has to expel that cat if it's dead so that the cow can still live. Mm -hmm. And But we can't do that for human beings, apparently. Oh, that's an interesting And how point. sad that is. Yeah. Yeah. So... In That's many, all I have called to say. Yeah, well, that was a good one, Pat. I would add that um, when animals are in excruciating pain and dying, we also help them along the way. And death yes. with dignity is only available in yes. a few states. We have it here in Oregon, um, but it's only available yes. in a few states. And it's just so sad that we don't treat humans as well as we treat our pets. Pat, thank you. And, exactly and give my true. greetings to Mason. <laughs> Mason, Michigan. Welcome to the Tom Hartman University Book Club. We're reading from Death in the Pines, a novel set in Vermont. You have to be crazy to do this. On a morning when the Vermont winter sun shone pale and weak across six crisp inches of fresh snow, when the temperature hovered somewhere between 20 and 25 degrees Fahrenheit, I spent a long time searching for 10 stones. They had to be the right stones of a certain weight and shape, heavy but not so heavy they exhausted me, rounded but not so much that they would roll from the place I set them. It took hours to find all ten of them, searching in the sheltered places where the dry, powdery snow was easier to scrape aside. Then they had to be lugged to the spot I had selected, mindless beast of burden work that made me sweat inside my downline jacket. I stacked the stones carefully into a hollow, truncated pyramid. Anyone coming across that pile of stones in ten or a hundred years would know they weren't dropped there haphazardly by a retreating glacier. This was a made thing, too small to be a cairn, too insignificant to be the remnants of a wall. I guess you could call it an altar. The ashes were in a bronze urn, far too small to contain the spirit of my friend John Lincoln. The container had stood on the shelf in my cabin for too many months. The new year had just arrived, and with it a belated first snowfall of the season, and the combination of the two had finally persuaded me it was time to do something about the urn. Holding it in the chill, near silence of the forest, I stood over the structure I'd made and looked off into the distance, seen but not seen, the brownish shafts of pines streaked with snow, the bare gray trunks of maples, 
the white and gray columns of birch, the deep shaded greens of white burdened firs. At that moment, the urn felt heavier than the stones themselves. This was why I was here. The mind drifts at such times. Even after six years, I could recall the particular night that had caused me to travel to this place. On that night, my mentor, no, by that time my friend, John and I had been slumped in the rotting front seat of an ancient rusting 55 Ford parked in the heavy, humid midnight of Central America. Despite the choking reek of insect repellent, voracious mosquitoes whined in through the open windows, and from time to time we slapped an offender, reducing it to a crumble of tissue to be flicked off with a fingertip. Still warmer than blood heat even at that hour, the dark air sizzled with cicadias. We had left our home base in Atlanta a week before and had taken a circuitous route to this dark clearing hacked from the jungle. We were waiting for either three or four men to emerge from a blacked-out warehouse, and we had no idea whether those men knew we were watching or how well they might be armed. What we would do depended on how many came out. If only three, we'd move in and recover what had been stolen. Four would make the recovery problematic, because that would mean that at least one of the men would be a local, complicating the calculus of violence. As I stood over the stone altar, every detail of our conversation went through my mind. A tape rewound and replayed. By that point in our lives, John and I had been partners for so long that we didn't BS each other, had no need to strain for machismo, no use for phony heartiness. We were a good team. We could finish each other's sentences, catch body language signals that amounted to a silent code, recognize unspoken concerns and anxieties in time to be prepared for the unexpected. We told all our jokes to each other years before. Once in a while, one of us might mutter two or three words of a punchline. The other would chuckle in appreciation or exasperation as the mood took him. That night in stop-and-start fashion, we had each spoke of good times we'd had. Waiting in the dark gave each of us a natural urge to talk. That was the one and only time that John had spoken of his quiet way in the forested hills of Vermont, thinking of the coolness of a New England autumn in that hellish tropic night. I'd never known that he'd been to Vermont. He had lived in Buckhead, a suburb of Atlanta, the whole time I'd known and worked with him. But in those suffocating hours of darkness, cool green Vermont was on his mind. Beautiful place, very peaceful, he said. I'd like to go back there when it's all over. I didn't have time to ask what he meant or what would be over. The job, the summer, the career, the life. At that moment, dim yellow light from a kerosene lantern appeared on the black face of the warehouse. First a line, then a thin rectangle then a fat square as the three men inside pushed open the double doors. John and I climbed out of our borrowed car and did our job. In the six years that followed that night, John never had gone back to Vermont, had never spoken of it again. And now for him, it really was all over. After the memorial service, after the will was probated, I didn't feel like hanging around Atlanta. So I made arrangements, gave most of my liquid assets to a community for abused kids in New Hampshire, and bought a cabin on 200 acres in the woods of Vermont. It was here I'd brought my old friend to the place he'd talked about. Pondering the finality of it all, I held the urn containing his ashes, a few bone fragments and pieces of his teeth, ready to fulfill a promise I had never made. Such a time demands words. I took a deep breath of icy air and looked up toward the top of a towering birch. A squirrel made an untidy, tangled nest up there in the highest branches, and the animal itself, or maybe another squirrel, who could tell, hung below the nest, head down in the trunk, apparently gazing at me. I imagined the squirrel's bright black eye held accusation. The fall had gone on so long, probably for half the animal's lifetime. So what was the idea of all this snow? Was I to blame? Clearing my throat, I reached far back into memory, groping for the prayers I had last recited as a child. 
I heard myself say, Dear God, my words took flight toward the washed-out sky on puffs of vapor. As far as I could tell, no one heard them but me and the squirrel. My voice had a harsh tone even to my own ears, a rusty hinge catch. The book is Death in the Pines. It's an Oakley Tyler novel based in Vermont. Norm in Tampa, Florida. Hey, Norm. Uh, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Hey. What's up? Hey, how you doing? Good. Hey, listen, uh, you know, about three weeks ago, a case that has not been discussed, it was a 9-0 case decided by the Supreme Court that affect doctors in terms of narcotic analgesic prescribing called the Ruhan Khan case, which the uh, Supreme Court simply slapped down the DOJ and DEA for the prosecution of doctors, saying that they had to knowingly and intentionally divert medication and then was, the DOJ was using a, a lower standard. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't even know about that, Norm. And that's a good yeah, thing, it's, it sounds like. Yeah. Read this, because, you know, we, you and I debate talked about this opioid, opioid. Well, and simply what this decision said was this opioid crisis that they talked about was a complete, it has been a complete hope. Amazing. Norm, thanks a lot for the call. It's, it's great to hear from you, and I, I do appreciate it. Where'd my list go? There it is, right here. Hey, special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer, Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick Hoyt, Geraldine Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Al Gorilla Rhythm, Connor Arroyo, and Carna Verde. Get out there and enjoy the summer, huh? <laughs> and and uh, we'll see you on Monday. In the meantime, also get out there and get active. Tag, you're it. been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.